And welcome everyone to Preferred Lies, the official podcast of New Hampshire Golf. I'm your host, Dave Long, and I'm here with Matt Schmidt, the Executive Director of the New Hampshire Golf Association, and Scott Peters, the President and Founder of Golf and Ski Warehouse. And we have a big show today, uh, a couple of days, uh, we're a few days before the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. So there's a superstar car, uh, superstar course involved. There's several big legacy stories uh, to uh, follow. We're going to talk about that later in the program. We've got some golfers who are hot coming in, Rory McIlroy being one of them as uh, the winner of the Canadian Open going away. We're going to talk about some PGA news and notes. We've got our final word and predictions and we're going to lead off with some uh, talk about the New Hampshire State Amateur Golf Tournament, which is about a month away. Fellas, how are you? Doing great, Dave. Glad we're to actually see just you doing our own little show over here while, yeah. while Dave was doing yeah. the introduction. Uh, well, they're going to well, hear it. They don't hear this, but this was our third try yeah, third, intro, yep, so we had gotten a little bit. I think it was our fourth. I actually <laughs> had to turn it off because you <laughs> got a little bit antsy. in the past. But we've got it down pat. But before we do all that, let me just say that... Uh, the, the, uh, our thanks to Golf and Ski Warehouse for being the presenting sponsor of Preferred Lies. And uh, it would uh, do you some good this week to swing by Golf and Ski Warehouse in Greenland because Saturday, June 15th is the demo day and it's your last chance for Father's Day shopping and uh, where you can demo the latest 2019 clubs on the outdoor range from 10 to 4, get custom fitted by leading manufacturers and enjoy special savings on 2019 merchandise and clearance pricing on selected previous season drivers, fairway woods, full sets, and more. That's at Golf and Ski Warehouse on Route 33 in Greenland, New Hampshire. And uh, Matt and I were talking last week, Scott, uh, and we uh, about the fact that it's your 30th anniversary in business. And so we want to congratulate you for Thank that. Thank you very much. Very fortunate. And let me That's ask awesome. you this. It really is. Yeah, How, uh, what was the genesis? How did you get started on this? What, what was uh, well, the catalyst um, for it? I can give you a longer version or a short version. The fact I live in Hanover and am in retail, I mean, I would have lost every bet on that one. But I, um, I, I was going to be in college athletics. And I did that for a year. I left college athletics. I walked into a Nevada Bob's in Westwood, Mass. in 1986. And uh, that was the genesis. The simple version is that I came to realize that was the early days, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, back when I was younger, there's no such thing as a golf shop yeah. not on a golf course. Right. You know what I mean? It was like you'd go to the pro shop or maybe Kmart to get some Patty Birds yeah. or something. But this off course, which is how we're sort of referenced, this off course golf shop thing was very new, and and um, and that's sort of where the idea came from. I started working this Nevada Bob's, and I'd have buddies call me from home, saying, "Hey, can you bring home this or can you do that or?" Um, because again, it was so new, and there weren't any other golf shops really around in New England, uh, for the most part. And so, anyway, long story short, that's where the idea came from, back in 1987 or so. And then I broke ground in 1988, and we opened up in in the spring of 1989. So 30 years ago, which is crazy. Well, we we talked about it a little bit last week, but the roller coaster with retail, and especially with golf. And, no doubt. You know, I remember growing up in Northern Virginia, I remember when Sports Authority came in and they had a bunch of golf stuff. So all of a sudden, that's where my dad and I would go because he'd want to look at golf clubs and sure. do that kind of stuff. And, sure. You know, Sports Authority came and went, and 
we had models down there and then we which turned into galleons and which is I don't even know if model still exists anymore but all of these ebbs and flows and then dicks when they went all in on it and were But you know it's interesting about um, and I'm with you here but what's interesting about all those um, businesses that you just named they were all sporting goods stores mm-hmm. right and I think one thing that we've certainly learned and if not learned but proven is that golfers want to go into a store where golfers are yeah. to talk golf and, you know, while I appreciate sporting goods stores, I mean, for the most part, specialty shops in general are what we look to as shoppers yeah. to purchase. You want to have, you know, service, you want to have selection, you want to have some knowledge. And um, you want to have somebody who knows what he's talking no about. Question. Right. Yeah. You know, no question. And, you know, even those stores, I bet, I don't know this for sure, but I bet not many of them carried Titleist, for example, at mm-hmm. the time. Or certainly they wouldn't be able to carry Ping. And so, well... You would go into those stores to see a Wilson or a McGregor or a uh, Powerbilt, probably yeah. way back yeah. when. McGregor, right? they were bit, and Wilson, Wilson and McGregor, and they the, were way huge. back when. Spalding, were right, right. Those were the players, and right. uh, <laughs> um, and anyway, the landscape has changed dramatically because, quite honestly, Wilson's still around, but they went through some tough times. McGregor was not even around. Spalding's not around. Um, you know, Powerbilt's not around, and yet those were the. You know, I can name another couple like Ram. Tommy Armour. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are, you know, staple manufacturers for a long time who are no longer in the business. Yeah. So, See, so I, I was focused on the fact that he said, then Sporting uh, Sports Authority came along and going sports. That's like a long time after I started when, right? they, when they surfaced. So he's a little bit younger yeah. than us. But I think that the newness, you know, the right time, right place for the golf shop and the specialty golf shop yeah. were big advantages yeah. for us. And I so, mean... Forget about what happened in the past. As you know, it's a new world for retail now with no what's online and no what doubt. people can do. And yep. no it's, so it's awesome for you guys. You. Significant ones. And, you know, we tried. Oh, that's nice. We tried. <laughs> those are challenges for you as the circus music plays. Um, uh, <laughs> Should be our theme song, I think. <laughs> Yakety Sacks. Yeah, no, we tried the online thing. It didn't work well for us. And, you know, we're one of the advantages we have is in the golf business is that we're still a touchy-feely industry. You know, people still want it's to come true, in yeah. touch a club, wiggle a club, hit a club. And while we still may lose some people, even with that in mind, it, it is an advantage we have over, over other retailers. Yeah, I would never buy clubs of any kind online. Right. I mean, I'm kind of a dinosaur anyway, but I would... Never do something like that. I gotta feel it. I gotta feel the grips. Totally. I gotta, I gotta swing it. I gotta do yeah. the whole well, thing. So much of it is just the look, the way it looks when you put it on the ground. It might be the the best club you might get fitted in. It might be the best club that you hit, and you look at it and you say, I, can't, I don't feel like I can't hit it. Right. Well, I think Rich Parker would be a great example of that. Is that he's always, you know, he's always looked at my irons, which have always been not necessarily blades, but blade like, yeah. if you will. And he'd always look at now. I say this because Rich Parker is one of the best ball strikers you'll ever play golf with. And he always looks at my irons saying, how the hell do you play with those kinds of things? And I'm looking at his funky-looking Callaways or Ping Zing 2s he had forever and saying the, the same thing. Right, but yeah. So, so there's no right or wrong. Um, it's, you know, there is a lot of that beauty in the eye of the pole or thing. Yep, for sure. And then, of course, uh, first store was in Lebanon, right? West Lebanon, first store. From West Lebanon. And then you went to Hudson. 89, 93 in Greenland. Uh, 99 in Hudson and 2008 in Scarborough. What was that? And the one in Scarborough was on the day the market crashed? Pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, another <laughs> that must one have of been our, hairy time. Well, you know, we'd signed the lease before the market crashed, but sure enough, the opening was right around that same time. And yeah, yeah. 
you know, as I've told people often, if we could have survived, if any business, in fairness, not just us, if any business survived the challenges of 2008, I think for the most part, um, you've been better off for it because yeah. you had to get lean, you had to get mean, you had to be very efficient, you had to be a good operator um, in order to get through that tough time. And, and then the, the other side of that, there were a lot of people who were eliminated, and so the marketplace was a little bit more open. So if you could have survived that, and a lot didn't, um, you were better off for it. Well, good for you guys. I mean, everybody involved. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, thanks. 30 years you know, is a long very time. very fortunate, and I'm very lucky to be surrounded by an incredible number yep. of great people. I'm so, sure. I mean, you've dealt with Absolutely. a few of them, and then I think you share that same. They all make you look good. That's yeah. for sure. Well, that's not hard. It's true. <laughs> and we'll, we'll be doing preferred lives here on the 60th anniversary as well. Maybe the 50th anniversary. With Ben and Tom, eh? Yes. <laughs> Hopefully the volume of the phone. And he'll up. be talking about Harmon Gellerman. <laughs> <laughs> And yes, Ben and Tom will be going, who the heck is he? <laughs> well, that is, I thought that was a prerequisite, prerequisite for coming on the program to know who Harmon Killebrew was. Heck of a golfer, Harmon. Yeah, was I bet he was. Uh, had the, actually, I would have seen him more as a hockey player. Just had that, that tough squat. defenseman. Yeah. He would have been a tough defenseman, no doubt. All right. Uh, let's uh, switch gears and go to the some NHGA news. Uh, state qualifying or continue, uh, qualifying for the state amateur tournament continues. Uh, at Stonebridge last week, what you got? Kind of state. Jake Nutter was the low uh, golfer with us at 69 and 28 qualified there. What do you have coming up this week, Matt? We've got. I was actually down at Brentwood this morning marking for the qualifier there tomorrow. Um, 20 more spots down at the South Course, which I'd never set foot on. Um, the Am was at the North Course a couple years ago. I think the South Course is fun. You know what? I'm, I was just happy that when I showed up at 6 o'clock this morning that the first tee for the south course is right there because it was going to be embarrassing for me to have to ask somebody where the first tee of the south was. <laughs> um, but it's it's something else, man. It's it, a different golf course. It is. I mean, It's it is. got some, some funkiness in that you start with two par fives, yep. and then you also play three, four, well, four, five, six, or Tight, short, yeah. you know, and then all of a sudden you get out there and you've got and it's wide open, wide open again, like and you then can you hit, get and then back. You, in a, so it's we really used different. a lot of paint. I bet you did. It is it, there is a lot out Picasso. there to mark, um, especially the last three out of the last four holes. Really, eighteen just kind of comes straight back to the clubhouse right. there. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's it was interesting to be out there. So it'll it'll be a good test for the guys. Golf course is in good shape. I talked to Derek McAllister, who's the superintendent. Former. Um, Golf and ski employee and state am state champ. champ. Yeah, and he actually played with Steck when it was at Brentwood a couple of years ago. Okay, um, in the first couple of rounds. But Derek was working the North Course, which is where we're going to have the Open next week, um, which is probably on on our horizon a bigger deal. State Open is at Brentwood next Thursday. Then we're Keen on Friday, um, Keen Country Club on Friday, and then we're back to Brentwood for the final round next Saturday. So that'll be interesting. About it's like the a challenge little, of having a Vermont Open the same week. Is that been a problem or a good thing? Um, based on registration, I think it's it's worked out kind of like we hoped that guys would just play Vermont and then come straight over and play ours. Yeah. Um, you know, three weeks ago we probably were at about eighty people playing, and um, the deadline's Thursday afternoon. I would guess we'll get pretty close to one hundred and fifty. Nice, um, which That's is which news. is really good. And it, you know, it'll be a, a fun. How far that tournament's come, then? Yeah, it's true. I mean, right. it really, it really, really has, and it'll be a fun, I think a fun different kind of test for them to play about 7,000 yards on Thursday 
and then we're going to go play 6,300 yards at King Country Club on Friday. You know, right. so you're going to have somebody who can go out there and shoot 64 at Brentwood, kind right. of feeling like right. there are holes out on the north where you can sort of hit it anywhere, sure. big fairways. Sure. And then all of a sudden we're at King Country Club. You got tiny greens. You, you don't need your driver fairways. that much at all. No, actually. some of those guys should leave it in the car. Right. It's a little flavor of the old uh, Bob Hope Desert Classic when they played on different courses in the uh, in it. So that, it, it's interesting. I think. That, I think as it a player, is. I, I'd find that to be. Uh, I don't know what to segue that into. I think I'm going to take the bigger Armin point. Armin Killebrew played is, there one time. <laughs> the bigger point, which is the two, it is interesting, the two very different and contrasting golf courses. It is. Well, that's, It'll that's be, all uh, meant, that, it, that they played on several different courses there, and that guys would, you know, you, you would uh, have different challenges as you played. That's all. And, you know, Keen oddly sort of reminds me, and I don't know why, but it reminds me of some of the smaller private country clubs in Indiana. It has more of a... Interesting. I, and I don't know why necessarily, it why seems that is. It, it is. I mean, it's got up and down. Lines, and, up and down. Um, but I don't know what about it it is. That, that It's sort of the first time I was there kind of gave me a, a little bit of a Midwestern flair to it a little bit. And and so it'll be interesting. I mean, definitely got some quirks at Keene yep. a little no bit. Um, I think the guys who don't play a practice around there are going to be extremely surprised. You know, it's interesting and... Uh, um, and I, gosh, this is certainly not meant to be about me, but I would have told you in my competitive days that I would be better at Brentwood and not as good at Keene because I used to be fairly long back then, mm-hmm. whatever I say that, because I had great success at Keene yeah. and, you know, okay at Brentwood. Yeah. So it's just interesting that that it, it's um, what I concluded was I sensed that Keene is a good, solid ball strikers course, right? Yeah. You don't necessarily need drivers, so it's not length, but you got to hit it solid. Yep. So I'll be curious to see how that plays itself out. Yeah, it'll be interesting, and, and um, it'll be interesting to see how fast the greens are at Keene because they're tiny, and right. you can um, do some stuff with whole locations there that I think will make it a little trickier for sure. guys. And, yep. and um, So, you know, it'll be – It's you're right. It, it really is nice to see how much the Open has grown, and to be perfectly candid, that was an event uh, probably, what, three, four years ago, four years ago, that admittedly I was contemplating do we – is this an event we want to give to the the chapter that we well, don't even want to run? When I was on the board, it was a, a huge frustration why yeah. we were you we're know, getting 80, 85, 90 players we relevant. Yep. The event wasn't even relevant. Um, and so I think you guys have done a lot of nice things to make it relevant. And the fact is that, that you have 150 golfers now. Yeah, and I mean, having Xfinity support is huge. Well, that's all part of it, right? Yeah, it's all part of it, and it's it, it has been great, and we've heard great feedback from the guys that that drive around and play in all the different opens that, um, you know, we heard a couple of years ago. And granted, when it was at Manchester, obviously that was sort of a premier destination for guys to want to go play. But we heard from from players that said it's it's a, they they didn't used to come play, and now it has to be a must stop for them to come up and mm-hmm. and play in the event, and that's that's really nice to hear because that's. That's really about the entire event, right? Um, you know, because you could go to a great golf course and have an event that's poorly run. Um, so it's 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 been nice to see that event, not only when it struggled, but it picked up and then it's just continued to stay that way. And having 150 players is is just huge. Ron, well, you, you, I know you're, we're sitting here at Lake Sunapee Country Club. I know you have, uh, I think next Tuesday. Next is Tuesday the is the New England AM qualifier. Which will be right here, so right I'll be here. very curious yep. to see how they do. A lot of New Hampshire players participating in that because yeah. um, that's up at Equiche. Uh, right. um, I guess it's the week after RAM, I think, is when 
right. when the New England. And that's the other thing about the Open is the Open used to be two weeks after RAM. This year we switched it to June. Um, admittedly, kind of an administrative thing where that made July kind of less hectic for us, even though timing wise we still have the Open next week and a couple weeks the AM. But it was really, it really felt like we were cramming everything into the month of July. Right. And now um, the Mass Open's going on right now, and Mike Martell currently leading the yeah. Mass Open, which is very cool. And then they, they go, guys go play in the Vermont Open, and then they can go to Vermont straight to New Hampshire. Right. So it all sort of makes sense in that, From that a circuit. From standpoint, yeah. it certainly does. Um, I want to go back one thing. For people who don't know, you were talking about marking the course. Uh, for tomorrow, the qualifier. Uh, actually, it will be the day after this comes out. But anyway, what does that involve? The 50-yard line, the 40-yard right, line. Yeah. Right, right, right. Or, <laughs> I thought it was the batter's boxes since Harmon Killebrew was involved. But. Um, when we talk about marking a golf course, we're talking about setting up the golf course. So we're painting all of the penalty areas. Notice I'm using the new language, which I'm sure offends you. Um, and we do Did the whole locations. GA give you some bullet points. It, well, they they there's a, a little uh, light that goes off down in Far Hills. If I say hazard, they'll say somebody from our AGA in New Hampshire didn't use the right good the correct terminology. Um, so we mark everything. We paint all the the penalty areas, and we we dot the whole locations because we give the players a, a rule sheet and a whole location sheet. Are we playing it down? We are not going to. Okay, interesting. Because I was gonna I asked that. Mostly because there'd be a lot more painting if you're playing it down, and then you'd have to start. Yeah, I mean, you know, that area on the whole, the golf course is in good shape. But I think, like a lot of places, there are just areas where the winter kill sure. has not been able to fill in because of the way the weather has been. And then today, I mean, driving down to to Keene this morning, it was just pouring. Mm-hmm. And by the time I finished, it took me close to four and a half hours to mark. Um, I mean, there's still standing water all over the place, right. so it's going to be fairly soggy yeah, still it's tomorrow. It's the right decision, it sounds like. Um, and, you know, when we were at Stonebridge last, last week, I talked to a couple of players afterwards. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it out there because I was marking at Rochester for the four ball. But, you know, some of the players said they we, we played it up at Stonebridge and they were in the first fairway and couldn't understand why. So does that bother you when you play it up? Not, bother may not be the right word, but obviously your goal and your mo- your desire is to play it down whenever. Absolutely. And and my hope would be that, at, you know, at Brentwood we get some some really dry weather so that it can firm up a little bit for the Open next week. Because I really, you know, really once you get to the championship proper for those events, you really want to try to do everything you can to avoid playing it up. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, I, I think it sort of goes with the territory with what the spring's been like this year. Yeah. And, and that, the, the, you know, golf courses are, all the superintendents are working so hard, but inevitably they just have these spots where there's not enough sunlight, there's not enough air movement. And because right. it's been so cool this right. spring, those areas that normally have filled in by this point. And, and, you know, some of those areas where there's winter kill, it's not bad to play off it necessarily. It's just kind of... No, but the contrast of the good right. versus bad is, is dramatic. Right. So I mean, a decent it, player doesn't mind playing off a hard pan with no correct. grass. Yep. I, I totally agree. But it's in a lot of cases, you're right, it's just easier to play it up than yep. you start... You paint one thing, and the next thing you know, right. where do you're you stop? White, right. putting white paint down everywhere right. because you, you marked it on... Right. The first hole, you got to mark it on the 15th. Absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah, you're going to get a hard time maybe from people who want you to be consistent. Why did you do it here? Why did you not do it? And that's, that's, that's the question you always want to avoid, too. Well, the player, this player in my group was in an area that was marked. This area looks exactly the same. How right. come it's not marked? And, look, you can go back and you can give them relief and mark it even during the course of the event. 
Um, but it's just, you know, all things being equal, it's just easier to let them put it in their hand and, and find a lie. And, and when the golf course is good, even when you're doing that or good spots, most of the players kind of forget. Right. If they're in a good spot in a, in a fairway. All right, let us uh, move over to some PGA news. Uh, uh, you know, I've been asking this, I guess, since we've been doing this as a first, as a radio show first and a podcast about when you're going into an, a major event, is it better to rest and practice at home and skip the final event, or is it better to go and play in competitive, in a competitive environment? And I thought it was interesting from Rory McIlroy, who won the Canadian Open, which. Uh, with a 61 on the final day to win his... Hey, I have a question for you. When you bogey two out of the last three holes, you still usually shoot 61, right? I do. Yeah, I figured. Right. Anytime I've done it, that's exactly what's happened with me. So, yeah. uh, But I thought it was interesting <laughs> after uh, the event, he was talking about how it was better for him to be in a competitive environment. He said there's no way... There's no better way for him to get ready to move into ah, but, the Open But what's interesting, he said that based on the fact that he always used to take the week off before the U.S. Open and hasn't played well. So, you know, you can, you can spin it any way you want to spin it relative to what's right or what's wrong. The bottom line is it comes down to your own personal preference. I right. personally would never want to play the week before because I'd want to be fresh. I want to be, um, not, again, I'm not trying to come suggest a, a major. I'm talking about I'd like to be rested and fresh. I don't want to be coming off. Lots of golf beforehand, but you look at Kepka, you look at, to your point, Rory. Uh, Phil always wants to play the week before. Tiger almost never. Yeah. Right? And so I don't think there's a right or wrong specifically. Right. I, I don't either. Um, you know, it's interesting. Even Kepka said last week he played because he wants to get sharp, but he could care less about his results. He was just playing because he wanted to be competitive. And so I think, I think you approach it totally. There's not a right or wrong, is I guess yeah. where I'm going with it. Did you hear what did you hear what Roy said after, when somebody asked him afterwards if he wished that the U.S. Open started Monday the next day? He said no because I'd be hungover. <laughs> Living up to his Irish heritage yeah. there with that answer. Well, a lot of good beer in Canada. He and Shane Lowry probably had quite. They, the had, evening. they had a nice I'm night. I'm sure they no, did. That's probably the only thing as a golfer I have in common with him because certainly not how I play. Uh, it was uh, pretty much running away, though. He ran, uh, what was he, minus 21, 22, I think? Something like that. Uh, 22, yeah. And Webb Simpson was uh, minus 15, and Matt Kuchar and Brett Snedeker were minus 13. So, uh, you know, I, I had uh, Matt and I were talking, and I mentioned this before we started the first five times, uh, the program. Uh, I had Keegan Bradley. He goes off at 63. That was my prediction. I sent him an email the next morning. I said, I think this is it. Dumping T- Tony Finau was a was a good thing, and then he completely disappeared and wound up in forty fourth place. So, <laughs> well, I- you know, Scott and I were texting Sunday about it and um, about Rory in particular, and I I, I used the analogy okay. that that Scott had used to talk about Tiger. That you know, we were talking about whether or not he's going to win another major, which was two weeks ago when we were right. here, and. You know, you see a performance like that, and you just have to say to yourself, he's too good not to win another one. Totally. And it's the consistency's not been there, I don't think, like we kind of expected with him. But when when he is on, it's just, it's yeah, unbelievable. It, someone asked me even yesterday, so, you know, it, who, again, we've, we've asked ourselves this very question. Who, when everybody's at their best, who is the best? How do you know, right? Because you've never seen it, and you probably never right. will. Um, but it's hard not to say that Rory is 
top two, three, or four in that argument, yep. right? I mean, DJ would be one of them. Yep. Capco would be one of them. And certainly Tiger, I'm not sure, maybe quite as much as, as in the past, but it's certainly hard not to think yeah. you know, those four. Think of the, interest, the difference between um, tennis and golf. I mean, you just said something where you said, we don't get to see those top five or six guys at their at their best together, or very rarely, if ever. And in tennis, the top two guys or top two women almost every week seem to be in the final. Okay, but I think we've talked about this in years past. It's a huge difference because um, do you really know if Nadal was at his best against Federer? You don't. You just know he was better than Federer. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And he was and better so, than everybody else to get there. Right, but right. the difference is that that in golf, you're playing the golf course. Right. So you could shoot 78 and win yeah, and say, boy, he played lousy, but he still won. Right. I'm just saying that that's a, diff- a big difference between those two sports, that you get a chance to see if that's what you want, to see the two best people. You know, if, For instance, if you're going to a particular event and it stops, like they used to have the Volvo here years and years ago, um, you probably want to go and see the two best players and if you go into the final, you're likely to see the world's two best players. In tennis, in golf, you never know. And and that's also right. a great thing about right. golf. But I mean, heck, it even happens in match play that you could have two guys playing great all week at the state am that you know, the two best players, you know, they're just mowing people down and um, and match play and then they play each other and you know we keep score and you know it could be 79 and 77 and it's like right and yet it's the two a pillow best players were going head to head right so i'm just curious um is your car doing okay my car yeah i didn't know it if is. the volvo 30 year old volvo reference <laughs> yeah. was a was a goal to try to get some degree of sponsorship yeah. Actually, or maybe was, a, yeah if you, if you were the fifth caller to the station you got a free car i mean the volvo was a, got, you i'm sure you have no idea what he references the volvo it's a tennis event that was at least 30 years ago maybe probably it left yeah yeah anyway was i was curious if there was a goal to maybe upgrade there all the, i was saying was you got a chance to go to in fact i used to work with them a little bit uh, but you get a chance to go there. You want to see Manuel Arantes. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea who that person is, but I, yeah. I can only imagine he's digging deep right now. Yeah. Very. Well, I, well, keep in mind the Volvo didn't attract the top five players in the world. So well, Rod Laver was there. Rod Laver played in the original. There you go. And actually, it started as a draw to the Mount Washington Hotel. That's how it started, which is how golf tournaments started, too. So way back when. All right. Let's. Uh, so I'll say this about about Rory. I, I think it was it was one of the masters. Well, two things. One, it's kind of funny that it, I I don't know if it was at Memorial, but at some point somebody asked Jack about Rory and said he'd kind of had a rough last couple months. I think this was at the Memorial, yeah. maybe because he missed the cut at Memorial. Yeah, I, think. I mean he won the players and then had a cut. <laughs> right, and 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 I saw something on Twitter where he's. He's literally having the best year strokes gain that anyone's had in, in recent memory. Um, but Frank Noblo, I think this was a couple years ago at the Masters, said, you know, the thing with Rory is he always, and I think it is because, in my opinion, when, every, when everybody's playing their best, I think he is the best. It, but he always seem, we always seem to want more from him. Well, but what's interesting, I think I just heard this down, maybe get exactly right, but from 75 to 100 yards, he's over 200th in the world. Think about that. So not only is that a stunning stat for yeah. somebody of that ability, but the other thing that sort of magnifies that to me is who's as good a driver as he is. Mm-hmm. So he's driving it a lot of times yep. at 75 and 100 yards, and yet he's over 200th in the world. And yeah. so when we talk about Rory never winning again in a major... 
A, that seems just a foolish statement as we stand here the day or two after the Canadian Open. But B, the reality is that's a pretty big hole in your arsenal. It's true. For that level of talent. Especially from a guy who's already won twice this year. Right. You know, and right. uh, because you, if you're, if you're uh, that significantly uh, down the list on the shots where, the sco- where you score, that's... To me, really remarkable. Well, it'll be interesting to see how he plays this week because, I mean, look, we talked about it. Uh, the, I mean, two years ago, we, I remember when we were doing the radio show, we talked about how the expectations for him and Augusta could have been higher. And it's like that every year. And it was like that this year when he won, won the players. Mm. And now he's coming off a massive win at an event where he struggled recently. He's not played well at the U.S. Open. I want to say he's missed a couple cuts in a row. Right, sounds correct. And and it'll be interesting to see if he can carry this momentum. And as we talk about even with Kepka, where was this just... I don't see Pebble being a good fit for him. Was it just four really good days up there and the golf course fit his eye and he played played really, obviously, really well, really well on Sunday? Right. And are we just going to see sort of another ho-hum performance? And well, rarely do you play great. Two weeks in a row, so that's against him. I also think this course, I don't think you're going to be hitting many drivers. Yeah. And I think that is unfortunately to his, you know, not to his benefit. All right, that's a perfect segue to go to uh, to, to uh, move from the Canadian Open. Better than 35-year-old tennis tournaments? Manuel Arantes. Manuel Arantes. I was lefty, too. Clay players. Specialized a dirt baller, huh? Uh, But uh, I I, I want to continue. I want to mention a couple of things before we move on about Demo Day. Before we lose the golf and ski sponsorship. The warehouse in Greenland, if you stop cutting me off on on that particular one, on Saturday, June 15th, uh, it's your last chance for Father's Day shopping. It's Demo Day. And enjoy special savings on 2019 clubs, apparel, shoes, bags, carts, accessories, and selected clubs and putters, uh, Route three, uh, 33 excuse me, in Greenland, New Hampshire. All right, this is what I've got uh, for the top five stories going in. And I want to just talk about, or we'll go one by one, but... Uh, well, uh, it's, it's obvious is a top story. At least I think it's obvious. I mean, isn't Brooks Kepka the top story? I how, would, how can he not be? Yes. He's going for three mm-hmm. in a row. Yeah, he is the top story. I mean, Willie Anderson, whoever he is, right? We all mm-hmm. maybe, if you love golf, you've heard of him, but you really know nothing about him. The fact that he would be the first one to win three in a row, and really you could argue the modern era, that, that has to be the top story based on not only that, but also him coming off uh, back-to-back PJ victories. So, yeah. I mean, Kepka is the story, um, and it's hard to sit here and think that anybody else is the favorite over Brooks Kepka. Agreed. Well, according to the odds makers, which I've got, these, uh, these eight and a half to one tied with DJ... And Rory for the top of the top. So, what do you think that people are betting on DJ for with those odds? Is it because he's just good? Is it because he's had success at Pebble, Uh, or is it that I mean? Because I'm I don't you know I mean DJ hasn't played that well this year, has he? So, is it just on his talent alone? I mean, he played good. He ended up what he finished second at the Masters, right? Yeah, I think. So, I mean, he had a he had a good back then. Beth Page. Yes. Beth Page. Yes. Second. Beth right. Because um, Kepka was second at the Masters, I think. Correct, yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, it's I guess it's sort of been kind of an indifferent year by DJ's standards. It just doesn't seem like he's ready to. He doesn't have a win, on. right? I don't think so. And I think he has the longest record or longest active streak of wins in a, in a year. So you know, to me, if he that says a lot about him not playing that great. I'll, but, I'll tell you why Kepka's not uh, odds-on favorite. It's because no one's won three in a row, and they're betting on the fact that no one is going to do it. Uh, it's not going to happen. F- for the first time ever this weekend. I got to think that's the case. I think maybe, you know, given the talent of DJ, he hasn't won. Sooner or later, they figure he's going to win. So maybe that goes into the, into By the, way, the factors. DJ was, he did tie for second. It was uh, him at the Masters. Masters. So he's oh. been, he's had two seconds in the majors? Yeah, so he tied for second with Shoffley and Kepka at Augusta. Okay, so two seconds in the yeah. majors. I think that's pretty good, actually. <laughs> I mean, my my whole attitude about streaks is yeah, but I mean, it's not like yeah, he finished second, but he didn't really threaten. I mean, I remember we didn't see him on the broadcast at Sunday at Augusta until he was right. on like fifteen, I think, probably. <laughs> so I think he was just sort of ho humming it around, right. and then played. it wasn't until Kepka made three or four bogeys in a row was yeah. he in it too. So, but second is still second. It's true. Well, how do you think we're we'll just killing a guy for finishing runner-up? Uh, I'm just well, going with the fact he's should. I'm, I don't see him as a favorite, but it's probably a crazy thing to say. And um, well, but if you've got a guy who finished a second and he didn't even seem to play all that well uh, in either of those events, I mean, he had a, he had a, a big day until he fell apart on Sunday. I mean, he was in pretty good right. Uh, so in so 2010, sooner or later. I mean, yeah. I'm a believer in streaks that sooner or later they're going to end. And uh, yeah, and. In 2010, he had a three-shot lead after 54 holes. Yeah, and made a mess of the early holes. Two and three specifically, he made a mess of. Like you know what he shot Sunday? Chip. I don't remember. It's not good. 78 is what? 82. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Whew. So, and that was when he was had, still hadn't won a major, and it was yeah. like, you know, this guy's way too talented. Not Nine years major. is a long time. And it's hard not to think that, you know, he's got, what, 20 wins and, and one major? But he's down four to one to his best buddy. I mean, Kepka has four majors, and Dustin has one. That's got to be a motivator. And Dustin's first one came. Dustin's came first. Correct. So Kepka's got four. Can, right. you, can you imagine a career? I mean, he's he's obviously has one major, and he's sec, he's finished runner up in every every other one. He's, so is Louis twenty eleven in, in the British. And obviously this year, he's runner-up in Masters and, and the PGA. How? All right, back, back to Kepka for a second. How do you think the – I mean, it's a different kind of course. It's not the longest it's course so in different. the world. It's, so why right, it's not uh, that know, long. The elements it's not and the wind comes into it. It's going to be um, – so how does the course – how does it set up for him? I don't think it's a great course for him. I, I think you think of his wins. You talk about Aaron Hills. You're talking about – um, Beth Page, so these are long, although they're U.S. Open, so you, the narrow part, but he could play that course, let's see, he'll hit driver on two and nine on the front side. That's it. He'll driver on 10, 13, and 18. I mean, he, I bet he won't hit more than five drivers. It's only 7,000 yards. They're incredibly small greens, and you would wonder if a Florida guy puts well on Paula. So, Heck, even Tigers. Admitted he hates button on the POA. Right? Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting. Um, he's way too talented and way too confident not to think he's going to do well. Now, if you're going to ask me who would beat, I, I, I would take Brooks over DJ, but 
You know, that doesn't mean DJ won't play well. Yeah, I would. I mean, I I agree with all of that. I, it's, it's. I mean, it'd be shocking if he missed the cut. It would be. Oh, I don't shocking. see that. Yeah, I don't see that. I mean, that would that, that that would be that would be the biggest story, almost regardless of who wins. That would, that would shock me as well. It's. I mean, he's just he's he's playing so well right now that, and I don't. Um, yeah, maybe it it the venue doesn't fit him as much, but I just I don't. It's almost like he doesn't care where it is now. I mean, he's just he's right. It's he so in his own, yeah. Well, the elements come into this. Tournament. Forecast looks great. Yeah, the forecast I'm thrilled about awesome. that. Yeah, so the wind's going to be firm. Wind will be some. I looked at 10 to 12 miles an hour, yeah, which is, I you tried, know. I saw the same thing. It's, it's, it's something, not, but it's not. It's not irrelevant, but it's not. Yep. Right? I think it's going to be a perfect week. I personally, I love the course. I love the fact, I, I believe, I haven't seen the TV times. Maybe oh, you guys could help me with that. It's going to be prime time golf. It doesn't get any better. I mean, it is so spectacular for the setup. And yep. I think... You know, hard not to acknowledge is that we the last thing we want, just like Game 7 tomorrow night, the last thing you want is the refs becoming part of the story. The last thing we want for Pebble Beach is the USGA to be part of the story. And no, I, can I, only hope, that. I can only hope like, like heck that, uh, that it is a seamless, non-controversial, fantastic USO. Well, did you see the video that I think was actually posted on Instagram, but it made its way to Twitter from Cantlay, who posted something from over the green on nine in a hazard. Right, and he's complaining that it's uh, how thick the rough is. That's a little complaining, but it was certainly it's a little passive aggressive. Yeah, and it's like, what are you? (laughs) You know what I mean? He didn't complain, but he was acknowledging it. Right, but but it was over the green. And in the red stake area. Correct. So I'm not sure what you're looking for in that. If you hit a shot that's missed the green long, right. are, you, are you supposed to have a great lie? Yeah. I don't. That's a that's a little. You know, we talked about it with the. But you would agree that the, that they have to be somewhat scared to death that they they don't want to be part of the story I, this time. And I don't. I don't think that it's going to be. I think they're going to be so cautious. I hope. Um, I've been catching a lot of flack in in the last. They've had a bad run, and some right. of it's justified, some of it's not. You know, sometimes things happen, and, and you know, it just happens. And so the problem is they have been part of the story. And just like you never want the refs to be part of any results, you don't want the USGA to be part of it. And they, they unfortunately have got a bit of a black eye from the last X number of years, and I only assume they're, you know, hoping the golf gods shine upon them and they, just have the golf and the golf course be a positive story. They haven't prevented the preventable. Yeah. I think is, yeah. is the big thing. The things yeah. that they, you know, running a golf tournament, setting up a golf course, there are things that you have control over yep. and they haven't handled those things Do you well. think the guys who were saying things about, like Mickelson was very critical last week, we talked about it, um, uh, about the USGA and how they screw it up every year unless it rains, blah, blah, blah. Do you think that's more of an offensive strategy, offensive strategy by the players to try and put them back I mean, a little I, bit let on me ask their you heels? This. If you think, do you think if Phil had won three S Opens and zero Masters that he'd be saying the same thing about the U.S. Open and the Masters? So part of me thinks that Phil's a little bit sour grapes. Now look, as I just acknowledged, I think the USGA has, has um, made some mistakes. And unfortunately, they've also been the bad end of bad luck, uh, but for Phil to sit there and say in the 
25 U.S. Opens he's played, they've screwed it up 25 times. It's just, I mean, does anyone really think that's true? No. Well, was it was it the USGA's fault when he put that, uh, what, in the 17th hole, he put it on the hospitality tents right. at Wingfoot? Right. <laughs> I don't think that was the USGA. Or when he and tried I, to hit it through a fork in a tree and hit the tree head on, uh, directly. and just You know, I like, for example, I think they that Oakmont... Was you know is such a great golf course that they didn't need to screw it up and they had some problems there. I think Pebble's a perfect golf course. I think that they really don't have to do anything. They don't have to overthink. I'm, I'm it. betting they, there's probably a comfort level for them being there because they've been there so much. Right. It's not right. you know they've they've gone to some of these places that have been new in the rotation. Yes, I think and they've got Chambers Bay, yeah. Aaron Hills, and they got ripped for Chambers Bay and what the golf course. Aaron Hills like. was and very. Land. Yeah, except for the blimp crashing. Remember that? <laughs> um, but, I, you know, in a lot of ways, I think it is a good thing for them to be going someplace where they think I th- they, they have lots I of warm agree. and fuzzies, right? When's going the there. When's the last time they were there? 2010. 2010. So, so and Tiger, Tiger was, what, 20, 82, 20, 72. 2002? Yeah. So, all right. Um, plus, there's the physical elements of that course, you know, with the water and the, and the you know, and the, the, the rocky surroundings to some of the greens where you really well, you rarely get a flat line. I've been very lucky in my life because I've been invited by Callaway to play in this event every year. And so I've played Pebble probably in the top 100 courses. I've played it by far more than any other course. And, you know, you rarely get a flat line. The greens are incredibly small. The elements are always there. Um, it's not terribly long, but it's the longest 7,000. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. it's a silly thing to say, but it's like the longest 7,000 you'll ever play because it's that heavy, you know, ocean air. Yeah. Um, it's the Portsmouth Country Club of the West Coast, of the of, of U.S. Okay, Open then. courses. Okay. <laughs> um, we'll make sure to reference Portsmouth as such during the end. It's the Pebble the, Beach just, of the East? Yes, the East Coast <laughs> Pebble Beach. I'm just talking about when you get out on the point. And no, you know, I mean, the it's, wind's coming yeah. from all over the place. There's a um, similarity to it. And and they've got the fairways as narrow as they've... I mean, I play it in the fall in this event, and they've got the fairways that are like 50% width of yeah. what they is in the fall. And so, you know, it's going to be... I, I cannot see it being anything other than a great week. I just hope that that's I mean, I, you know, I just, as a fan, the idea of being able to sit on your couch at, you know, 9 o'clock... That's the with a cocktail in your hand, watching them finish in a, one of the most beautiful settings in the game, you know, the vodka tonic, or we'll see. Okay. Probably by then, yes. Okay, um, by, by then. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's just it, you. It, for me, it, it, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, it's I, it's I, nice that the weather is going to be great. I do and, like when it is on the West Coast, if nothing else. But it's the prime time yep. stuff, which is so cool. It really and is. And by the way, I was telling you when you were asking about, you got to check with us about the times. I wouldn't check with the with me about TV times. Well, you had a computer yeah. in front of you. I just assumed right. it. Well, but that being I said, have I have a relative, I have a relative playing on the World Cup, and you told me when it was, and I was going to miss it by a day. So, uh, let me ask you: You're playing the seventh hole, which yes. is you know listed as 109 you, yards. What did you hit? Downhill. Okay, you stand there and you literally feel like you can throw the ball on the green. Um, And most of the times I've played it either relatively benign wind or for whatever reason, downwind. And so you literally feel like you can throw it on the green. I've played it a couple times crosswind and a couple times when it's into you. And one time, again, 109 downhill, I do remember I had to chip a seven iron once, which was just crazy. 
I mean, and it must yeah. be scary too because you're sitting there with this club, and if you think the wind dies or something like that, oh, this it, thing is going to totally. Be, and it's it, a relatively small target. Again, when the wind blows, it's a it gets to be a very small target. When there's no wind and you've got a a, a gap wedge yeah. in your hand, it's not that hard a shot, right? Um, but it is that feeling of oh my gosh, this is the seven hole at Pebble, one of the coolest right. par threes in the history of golf, right? I um, mean, you get that chill, you get that smile on your face. Um, and and many times you think it's a birdie hole, but you know it doesn't right. take long. But the key to Pebble Beach is the first seven holes. That is the key to Pebble Beach, and that's where you can score. Now they're playing the second holes of par four, I think. Yes, so that makes it are. a little bit different. But you know, one, three, four, um, six, and seven. You you have wedges in your hand. Mm-hmm. Those are scoring holes, um, and and I think that. Generally speaking, if you look at it, um, that's where you have to, you know, make hay, as they say. You know, if you look at the overhead shot of the course, how it looks so thin, because it's almost, you know, because it just, it kind of just goes yeah, out to the end, out and, and then comes back, yeah, and sure. then cuts across in those last two holes. Those, yeah. yeah, but it's so, it doesn't look like it takes up that much uh, land, really. Probably not. Just in a thin area, the design of it. Although it's, you know, one of those courses, you just go out to the peak, and then right. go back, and then come back, so... It's, uh, it's also it's, a shame there cool. aren't very many nice houses around the golf course. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's stunning. <laughs> Good grief. You know, you say there's not much uh, property for the golf course. It's because it's <laughs> the property is so ridiculously expensive right. that um, that they can't afford it. But the reality is that, uh, that if you have to start on the 10th tee, because I know they go split tees yeah. right in the U.S. Open, starting on 10 is no, yeah. no piece of cake. And if you're starting on 10 in early morning and it's cold and it's windy... Man, oh man, that's that's a tough place to start. Yeah. So, by right. the way, twelve thirty to ten thirty, love Thursday that. and Friday between FS One and Til Fox, ten thirty, and then Saturday noon to ten on Fox. I now have a new concern. Can I stay awake? <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> well, see, that's my that's although this this Bruins playoff run has gotten me up till past my bedtime mm-hmm. consistently. Yeah. So it's not as bad as baseball. Though. Baseball never what is two two o'clock in the morning. Totally, I just wrote a story uh, in my column in Hippo Press about D Day. What happened in sports on in that week of D Day, and the Yankees and Red Sox played in this weird series that started on a Wednesday. D Day was on a Tuesday. Everything was shut down on the Tuesday, and the series four game series ended on Sunday with mm. a doubleheader. And the nightcap of the doubleheader took a mi- an hour and thirty five minutes. Which is like the last two innings of a typical yep. Red Sox game. It's going to a minor league game. So anyway, that, so Harmon Killebrew was not playing in that game. I should mention. All right. So the number one story is uh, Brooks Kepka going for number three. Hard to argue with that, even for me. Uh, what do you see as number two? I've got Rory Phil, Phil's last chance Phil's at the Grand Slam. Is right. my feeling is because he, he's getting up in age. This course he's had great success on. And uh, and the chances of going forward of him being able to pull it off will be much much more slim. He's a five time winner at Pebble Beach. Yeah, in, in the PGA Tour. So yep. this is a course. This that would be. This is his. You could best. make an argument that this is his absolute most effective course. No question. Of course, he's already passed the oldest. Uh, the age of the oldest person ever to win a major. So how right. old is he? Forty eight. Forty nine. Forty nine. He's now forty nine. Yeah. Because I was going to say how long until he turns 50, just looking at future sites. 
Wingfoot next year, Torrey in 21, the Country Club in 22. So you could argue Wingfoot would give them a chance. Yeah. I mean... L.A. Country but, Club in 23. But every year, as you reach the, the, the age of 50... I mean, really? I mean, do you really... I mean, he's not even playing well enough to necessarily think right. he can win although, this week, right. but although, it's a course he likes. Although he won in January here. Yeah. So, so yeah. you know, he certainly it's true yeah. that he February, can do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, if he's going to do it, I think this is the last shot I, for him. I, that's my feeling as well. You, you know? I, I mean, I think just based on the age factor, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, he might might have a run in him in another couple of years, but, you know, it just sort of playing out of his mind for a round or a round and a half as yeah. opposed to being able to put it together for right. For but, 72 holes. And as we said, this course, given the success he's had here. So, uh, all right, what's number three? Rory well, coming in hot. The nauseating Tiger is back in contention story. Those or? are the two that jump to mind. I, I, I'm not sure what the others would be. I'm not sure the nauseating part was necessary. But well, <laughs> I, I, Tiger's not nauseating. It's the nauseating coverage that will follow him wherever he goes. That's what I would say. But uh, so, what is Tiger? Is this a? Is he? Uh, Tiger has is a, he a very top 10 absolutely yes. Uh, not a run of the mill. I, I consider him final a top two day five contender? contender. You do. I do. He's he because played, of the course. Played played, played the course, <clears throat> and the fact he is now rested. He does have some competitive golf under his under his feet, and he played very very well his last event. So. Yeah, I think that so that was was we must have talked about that last week when yeah, we weren't on, but right. we we talked about it a bit that you know our guy um, I think it was Eddie Pepperell on Twitter, <laughs> um, you know they post somebody posted to Golf Channel or somebody posted a video of Tiger hitting a tee shot and Pepperell said that's the best I've seen him swing a driver in a I long did time. See that. Yeah, 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 and that's you know that's that was an interesting day. But his iron play was stunningly good. Yeah. Um, and again, you're not going to need that many drivers at Pebble, so he can. So that helps him. I think it does. You know, I mean, it's because again, it's got to be narrow. But he's had great success in the course. He's playing well. He's playing with house's money. I, I think you he's going to be though, a legitimate contender. At, at the Memorial, he just had on the back nine a stretch of three or four bad holes right. on the final two right. days. Which took him out of contention. Which I said to Dave, you know, I think most, a lot of guys in a given week yeah. could say, if you take those three or four yeah, bad holes out, I would, right. I would, I would have won. Of course. Um, but they came at the same spot. But so it's Tiger Dave versus plays. Rory, who do you take? I probably take Tiger. Dave, I'm going Cor- uh, t- uh, I'm going Rory. Yeah. I just, Tiger, I'm Tony taking Corey too. <laughs> I was going to say Corey, but I'll take uh, Rory as well. I think <laughs> that you know you also have Spieth. You know, yeah. is 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 the, the is the comeback yep. coming along? Yep. I mean, he's played yep. well. JT back from an injury. Yeah. As much as I like JT, I just don't see him sharp yet. Yeah, you know probably. what I mean. I just don't see him sharp yet. I I do think playing halfway decent coming into here. Um, I got a tip for Dark Horse from uh, from uh, my friend Owen Brown, who I told you guys I spoke to on my way down to the show, just because um, I wanted to pick his brain about this, and he's actually doing the. TV for Fox, doing some of the TV for Fox. Anyway, um, his dark horse. I thought it was interesting, and so far it's fairly consistent with things. A person who's had success at the golf course, um, a person who's playing well, and a person who putts very well. Snedeker. Bingo. That's exactly. You got to dap me up. That's that, pretty good. Isn't that it? was a great. I mean, Thank that you. was very. We good. did not rehearse that. We did not. In fact, I'm. I'm surprised. He, I mean. 
I tried to lead you a little bit, but oh yeah, I, I mean, mean the reality he, was he came to my mind. Had he he's actually had success thought, there. He's he's won I think, there twice. Yeah. As Olin told me, he's uh, he's played very well. He, I think sixty one's a good round. So, mm-hmm. um, and and we all know what a great putter he is. Yeah. So um, anyway, I thought that was interesting that that uh, he thought that, that yeah he was, he was that. sort of top of mind yeah. to me. Yeah. All right, so that's your dark horse. How about guys who are have been kind of. You know, around the leaderboard, top ten, uh, going th- going uh, you know, through the year. Cantlay. Patrick Cantlay, who is a California kid, who won recently, but has if you look, he's been not only take the win out of it. I think he's actually been very competitive, not only in tournaments but in majors. In fact, I think he was on he the was leaderboard leading. at both was, the Masters. I believe at one point his, he was winning the Masters, right? And I think on he was in the hunt night. somewhere in, in um, at Beth Page, yeah. is my memory. So he's got a win. He's played well in the majors. He's a California kid. I think Patrick Cantlay would be a very good pick. Dark horse. He wouldn't be a good pick if you wanted somebody playing three and a half hours. Or <laughs> well, four hours. But we know that that's not going to happen. Or four and a half yes. hours, probably. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I, I really like him, except for how I know. slow he is. I'm just saying. God, it's like you think a pigeon's going to land on him. It's God. We, we were talking last week. We talked about pace of play quite a bit at the beginning of the program. And, uh, you know, they had issues with it in the LPGA and the U.S. Women Open, Candelay, uh, some other guys, uh, DeChambeau, bringing out, breaking out the, con- the uh, protractor as playing slow. W- what are your thoughts on this whole issue? Slow play drives me nuts. And, and in my opinion, it, the salt, I mean, either you're part of the problem or you're part of the solution. It's one of my you know lines that I've always think about and and I think is applicable. And right now, the PGA Tour, USGA, RNA, none of them are part of the solution. It's easy to say that we want to address slow play. The reality is they do nothing about it, and and it's very simple. It's the it's incredibly easy decision. Mm-hmm. You have to penalize them. Yep. And as soon as you think about this. The only people we've seen pen lines for slow play in the last X number of years are an amateur at the Masters and an amateur at the U.S. Women's Open. That's it. And you can't sit here and tell me that that's coincidental. The reality is they penalize people that they won't get in trouble penalizing. Yep. They're too afraid to actually use the rules. It would be so easy to fix as long if they would just penalize people. Period. It's just that easy. And I don't get why people take so silly and how long they take. I was going to use a swear word. I backed off nicely there. but It's a podcast. You can do it. Yeah. Um, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Potty mouth coming. Uh, but I just don't understand why it's not addressed. And I think it's, you know, we, you can talk all you want about doing something about it, but the bottom line is nobody does anything about it, and it drives me nuts. Yeah, I agree. I mean, are they afraid I don't of, play they slow, afraid right? So I don't get it, and I get how I play, but... Matt would know. How many people in your life who you know play slow think they play slow? None. So it's just a matter of, it's just penalize them. But they, but they think the person in front of them plays slow. They're <laughs> you know, always you know, deflecting. Well, no, that's what no, no. Do. no, no. They're no, they're never, about how slow the other person they always, is. They're always worried about the group that's behind them. Don't worry about the group that's behind you. If they're slow... We'll penalize them. You need to worry about the fact that you can't even see the group in front of you. Right. I don't that's, care about well, the group behind you. I care about the group in front of you. Right. And look, you know. So if, don't, I mean, do you share that emotion? Oh, I totally Why agree. is it that we can't address I, the problem? I mean, if I said don't today, address the problem, you're part of the problem. I, I get that they, they're 
this is their livelihood and it's important, but they're also not shooting 110. They're shooting good scores and it shouldn't take them as long as it's taking them to play. I guarantee you play. if they played in, in less time, they would shoot the same friggin' yep. score. You know why they're helped at this? It's because with, with these things on television, if someone's taken too long, then they'll just cut to someplace else and the television audience really never has to deal with it. The people at the courses do, but the people... I mean, I, honestly, I, I notice right it. I know, you know, when you're, when you're watching a whole, an entire round and you, you, know, you know when the guys are teeing off, I'll take note of it occasionally. It's that, oh my God, they played, you know, four holes in an hour and a half. I mean, you, you notice it. And I totally agree. They won't do anything about it. I'll, I'll tell you and I would even make the argument you played better with a rhythm and a pace to you, right? And this, instead of this ridiculous five and a half hour crowd, it just makes no sense. No. I don't, yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree it's bad for the game. It's on every level, it's yep. bad. And quite honestly, what nobody ever talks about is how unfair it is to the rest of the field. Oh, yeah. Because you're only as fast as the slowest player, and so a quick player gets it? penalized. So why don't they do it? Are they afraid of the players? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't say it. I, I answer like I know. I don't know why. I mean, look at the blowback in baseball. Baseball's you know, talking about putting relief pitch or pitchers on the clock, and they're, they've well, got I other guess... issues, and the Players Association is getting into it, and they're complaining. There's two guys who are really slow, David Price and somebody else. And they, you know, <laughs> I mean, they, it, they replace, and there must be someone else. No, 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 no. There are two guys who spoke, anyway, and I can't think of the right. other guy right now. I mean, they do put slow players on the clock, but they never anybody, do anything about it. But as anybody who could tell, who runs a tournament, will tell you, slow players know when they're going to get told that they're behind. So you know what they do? They speed up for two holes, and then they go right back to the pace they were playing at, which got them in trouble. I mean, these guys, so let me ask they know this. how to game the system. There's a score in every group. Why can't that score, and I'm, I'm, I don't know if it should be the score or not. Look it, it's a U.S. Open. Why not have a timer in every group? Why is it that, um, that, that slow play um, and playing the appropriate amount of time isn't viewed the same way as rolling the ball over in the rough? I don't know. I don't. And I wish... wouldn't that be a great example if the premier event in our National Open would actually make sure that every single group had somebody in it and they do something about it. Well, you know, the, the AJGA, the American Junior Golf Association, has they went through a big pace of play initiative because it's a problem with junior golf. Oh, it's because they copy what they see exactly. on TV. Exactly, and then you get coaches in college, which are a huge problem, too, because don't hit a shot until you're 100% ready and look at, a, look at a putt from every angle, whatever. But the AJGA did this stuff where they, they actually give out cards they do like a yellow card and a red card system. I believe this is what they still do, where if you're behind, your entire group gets carded, and then you can catch up. But they, they literally teach the kids in the AJGA events, put your, look and see where the next tee box is and put your bag over there. Put in, if you're finished the hole and there are two other people putting out and you're done, you walk to the tee. So you're ready to go. You don't have to stand there while you all, all three of you stand around and look right. at each other. Who's going to put the flag back in, or what are we supposed to do? If you're done, walk to the next tee. Well, so think, it's it, it, yeah, I struggle with that a little bit because I think there's an etiquette to the game. I mean, I can play in three hours and still go get the flag when somebody else is putting. So yeah, I think uh, the kids can be a little I put more oblivious sometimes. If I'm on one and the second tee's to the left, I'm putting my bag on the left side of the green. When you, you know, I mean, so to me, there's a bit of an etiquette aspect yeah. to that, but. But at least kudos for the for acknowledging try to and, do and putting it in the forefront of their heads instead of not caring. Well, yep. when you learned to play, how were you taught to play? 
Well, I was very lucky because I had um, a, a golf professional when he had a great junior group of kids. And one of the first things, in fact, the golf swing was not the first swing, the first thing that we were taught. The etiquette was the first right. thing. Now, so part one is I had very fortunate to be brought up in a place where etiquette was a priority. I'll be the first one to admit that I'm not a patient person. So I'm ne- I was never going to be the guy who played slow. That's just not who I am. I'm always early about it. So, but I do think what Matt's suggesting, which is at least now you have a, a governing body putting pace of play in the forefront of their minds, I think that is helpful. Um, uh, but I do think it's education. And ultimately, um, just like everything, there have to be consequences, consequences to your yeah. actions. Yeah, and, I agree with you. And I just don't understand why we can't do it. I mean, we, we give it lip service. We talk about it forever. And yet we don't do anything about it. And I just, I fail. I, it almost, to me, it drives me more crazy. Don't complain about it because you can solve the problem if you so want to. So I, I guess I'll do a little, uh, you know, inside baseball here. That So when I've, I've had the chance to officiate at a couple of USGA four ball championships. And a couple times, I've, you know, I've been sitting on a hole and spotting ball. But they, at, at those amateur championships... The USJ staff that are there, all they do is worry about pace of play. All they do is get on groups about pace of play. When the four ball was at Wingfoot, I was in the scoring tent. And if there was a group behind, somebody came in and talked to them. I mean, so, it, so let me ask you. That's interesting to me. I did not know that. And it surprises me. Um, but what jumps to mind there, and, and maybe this is just a guess that I'm wrong, it's interesting that you're telling me that happens at the four ball because I've never heard that happen at any individual event. So is it an easy target because it's the four ball? I, I, and I don't know if they... You know what I mean? It could be. I mean, I, 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 apparently I don't know the rules well enough to be, have been invited to an individual event. But, I mean, every... Well, every you four, want to sit down and talk about this? Every, <laughs> every four ball, it's, it's, it's a counter. I mean, please. And you know, my, Can we get something from Africa, cold compress? My best, my best wing foot four ball story is that... Um, Tim Mickelson was in my scoring tent. He played at Wingfoot. Him and his part—I I can't remember who his partner was—but he sat three feet away from me in the scoring tent. So that's, it's like that's—that's that's that's it. The that's the end of the story. Boy, that landed that's like a—I mean, it's gas essentially gas. like it's—it's it's essentially means I know I have a pretty good relationship with the PGA Tour caddy right, right. now. I mean, that's—that's that's the fact. He's, well, you've known me for how long? That's true too. So I know multiple now. Right. All right. <laughs> All right, but, have, it, but it's weird. I mean, because they, it's it's like you all all you hear about it's is pace and the groups are behind. And yeah, it's it just like, it surprises me that nothing's ever done about it because we do hear and talk about it a lot. And you know it. what's funny? I say that, and I feel like in the two or three that I've been to, there have only been there's only like one penalty that ever gets handed out, and I am I'm always left wondering how did they pick that group out well, of all again, the groups in, that played in five and a half hours in you men's pick, and or women's major championship golf in the last I don't know how many years. The only two slow play penalties yeah. are a one fem, one female amateur and one male amateur. And, and you know what's does I'm that not, not scream to you that I mean they're just picking on people because you know what's odd about this golf is such a is a game. Maybe more than any other, that is a stickler for rules, individuals, etiquette, all of that, and they're not focused on that when they have no problem. Well, well somebody I, t- penalizing somebody because a person from watching on so TV. So the three it. of us are playing in a in a uh, in a in a mat, or in a in a tournament. I mean, it's up to me to not only call it on myself, but also right. protect the field by calling it on you guys. Right. 
And to your, to your point, we do that with every rule possible, right. except for we don't do it with slow play. And if I called you slow, not only would you not take it well, but there would be some big uproar because, you know what I mean? It's just... Well, yeah, the guys who are slow complain they get rushed by the faster players. It's unbelievable, <laughs> it's isn't it? If you're the one who's... Okay, there's no rushing in over five hours, right? There's no... You can't tell me you rushed anywhere in five hours. <laughs> All right. Let, let us... Uh, we're going to stop here. We're going to come back in just a bit to uh, uh, get to our predictions and the final word. But first... Uh, uh, I'm going to, uh, in advance of Demo Day, I had a chance this, uh, earlier in the week to talk to Aaron Henderson of Callaway Golf. And so we're going to do uh, that conversation where he kind of gives suggestions on how to identify a set of clubs that's worked for you. So we'll do that with myself and Aaron, and then we'll be back for the final word. Okay, we are here with Aaron Henderson in the Improve Your Game segment of the podcast. He is an outside sales rep for Callaway Golf. And he'll be at Golf and Ski Warehouse in Greenland on Saturday for Demo Day, where you can take advantage of savings on 2019 clubs and accessories and get even deeper discounts on selected previous season's items for your Father's Day shopping. Today we're going to talk about how to pick out the right club for you. So, Aaron, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Dave. I'm looking for a little bit of sunshine and warmer weather. But other than that, we're good. The golf season is upon us, so... uh, we are ready to go. Slow start to the golf season this year. At uh, least in here. some ways, you know, from a weather standpoint, although it's interesting, you know, now there's simulators in so many places. The golf season is basically a 12 month deal now. And with product launching with us each year right around the PGA show, late January into February, we've been at it a couple of months and now we're ready to get outside. So simulators, they've got to be, they've got to be good for your business because people can check things, try things before they uh, start heading outside. You can start the process, and that's one thing Golf and Ski has done, is they've made an investment. So they have you know, simulators in all of their stores now. So you can get a pretty realistic experience. You know, In the old days, some of the technology of trying to play indoor golf was a little suspect, mm-hmm. but it's really been improved. And so you could come here you know, 12 months out of the year and get a very realistic experience in terms of your shot shape, in terms of your launch angle and your spin rates. And now we take that outside for turf interaction. Um, and people are kind of use this day every year as, okay, I've been trying. I'm now ready to buy because the golf courses are open. Let's get it started. You know, uh, the technology that's involved in golf now, I'm kind of, go in a way, goes over my, not in a way, goes over my head. <laughs> I have a friend of mine, Danny Arvinitis, who took a look at my clubs one day, and he goes, Dave, there's been a lot of technology since you bought these clubs. <laughs> <laughs> no question. I mean, we're even building clubs now, I mean this sincerely, with artificial intelligence. We basically bought a supercomputer to take us to the next level. So our driver, the new Epic Flash, it's the first driver ever made with artificial intelligence. And essentially, it allowed our engineers to take it to the next level of performance. As the governing bodies in golf, they only want you to make it so fast. But we can now make it fast and efficient. So if you hit it in the sweet spot in the center of the club, or you hit it high, low, heel, or toe on the face, you basically maintain your ball speed and your spin and launch conditions are very close to that as if you hit it right in the sweet spot. So this driver we have this year, the Epic Flash, it's the fastest 
and the most forgiving driver we've ever made. So is it safe to say it's just got, it, for the layman, it's got a much bigger sweet the spot? The sweet spot's been expanded. Essentially, right. the whole face is the sweet spot. So I, I like that. That's, that's, that would be helpful to me. We really think this is a difference maker, and we have that <laughs> not only in our drivers, but also in our fairway woods. And we've taken other core technologies that we had, something called jailbreak, which are these two stabilizing rods that are behind the face that connect the crown to the sole of the club. So as the face flexes, or there's a little bit of a trampoline to the face on both woods and irons, that's in all of our drivers, fairways, and hybrids. And then you factor in the face cup design where the face actually flexes. And now you combine it with artificial intelligence to maximize the ball speed across the face. We're really taking technology to the next level in so golf clubs. What's more important, ball speed or uh, spin rate? So ultimately, ball speed means your potential of hitting it farther. Right. So spin rate is factored in your launch conditions and your spin rate. But without the ability to create ball speed, you, you all look, is really a lot of chatter. And we want to combine all three, ball speed with a proper launch and spin. Mm-hmm. They work together in unison to ultimately give you distance and performance. Well, my thought is on the spin, on the spin, it's, it's the, what is it, spin rate or spin, spin rate? Spin yep. rate. If it's, I want to be in the fairway. I can take it a little less distance or even more less distance, but you got a good shot rather than being in the woods or uh, no being question. In, the, in the rough, of course. You know, speed, but speed that's out of control and it's more left and right is not really helping you. No. So you want to find a combination. A lot of people think they want low spin, and low spin is going to help maximize your distance. But you actually need some spin. Without it, you're not getting it off the ground. Right. You know, it's very windy here today. We're close to the ocean when we're at the Greenland store. I just fit a gentleman to a driver down there, and, oh, I want to hit it lower. I want to have lower spin. This is where we play. I said, sir, that's true. However, if you don't get it off the ground long enough, carry is what counts. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell people that a lot. Carry is what counts. Now, you don't want it floating and exposed to the wind. You want it penetrating. But you've got to have enough carry because... After all the rain we had last night, it can only roll so far. Right. And the wind or is variable. Plug. It can just plug. Right. So you want to find the combination. And that's what we do here at Golf and Ski. We're trying to help that golfer discover the best combination of clubs to help their game the most often. I want to go back and say one thing and then go forward. But we were talking about the, um, uh, the simulators helping people earlier in the year. Uh, See, I've always, anytime I bought clubs or really think about buying clubs, I would rather do it at mid-year. It's just me personally. The reason being, I'm playing better. You know, I've been playing longer. I'm probably in, uh, probably uh, losing a little weight because I've been walking. And so that is what I would call my peak time. Sure. So I'd like to buy my club at my peak time. Is that really necessary or is that just one of those dumb things that I think applies to me. I think there's some validity to that, but I would tell you this, in the climate that we're in, if people make an investment, they'd like to actually use it for a few months. And since our golf season's only six months long, if you wait, you're going to buy it on July 11th. I'm just making up a yep. date. Some people think of it That's as the well. Day I always buy my clubs, by the way. Yeah. July 11th. <laughs> target date. And if you go about it that way, you're only going to use it for a couple of months. And depending on your connection to football or other activities in the fall, you're running out of time to use your clubs. So I tell people, your physical stature is what it is. Your strengths are what they are. 
So I can, through years of experience, I've been fortunate enough to work for Callaway for over 26 years, kind of size you up a little bit. This is who you are. Yes, your consistency is going to be greater. And your speed might be three miles an hour faster in July. But it's not growing 10 miles an hour. So we can get you dialed in for the right length, the right lie, the weight of the shaft. It's one of the most underrated elements to golf. I just had a gentleman who we fit to a driver earlier. He thought he needed to have a stiff shaft. I said, actually, if we go to a heavier regular, you're going to still get the flex, but you're going to get the weight that balances with your swing transition. Some people are Freddie Couples smooth. Others are Nick Price abrupt. Right. Or if you go into today's you know, vernacular, certainly people know Tiger Woods and they watch the violence with which he swings. Right. And then you can look at some other places that, you know, you got Jim Furyk kind of unique and loopy. Kind of. You know, <laughs> so the shaft weight is a huge part of the game See, I like that heavier, needs to be understood. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I, I, I like heavier clubs, personally, because... Yep. It makes me smoother. You know, I grew up at a time when I was you were taught to swing like Freddie or try and swing like Freddie yep. Couples. Yep. Not many can, but, you know, smooth, just through it. And I've always felt heavier clubs help me with that. I'm not really, anytime I would ever try and swing violently, we're talking woods deep in the right, you know, on the right or, on the, you know, whatever. Uh, difficulty controlling it, basically. So I've always done that. So I, I like that, yep. heavier clubs. Yeah, and that's got to be the consideration. We have down there... A stiff shaft in three different weights. And then if you want to get into the aftermarket bag and you're willing to spend a little extra for the shaft, there's all sorts of different weights. But at the same price point, no upcharge in the Epic Flash driver, we actually have you know, uh, maybe a 40-gram profile. There's a 50-gram, a 60, and a 70. Uh, and there's even an 80 if you want to go that far, but that's almost approaching the way to steal. So most people don't right. go quite that far. Right. But that's definitely something, whether you come to the demo day this weekend or if you come to Golf and Ski any day of the year, they have the opportunity to work you through, whether it's on their range or in their simulators, different shaft weights, and that's going to make as big a difference in your game as whether you get a stiff or a regular flight. Right, well, I'm in a mood to embrace technology these uh, days. Dave, because I just you've uh, said I've that gone, a few years. I've gone, I've gone, so far, I've, gone uh, I've gone smartphone, I've gone smart <laughs> TV, I'm ready to do it with golf clubs. So, Good. I walk in the door... And I want to. I don't know what clubs to pick. I mean, let me. You know, you you walk into Golf and Ski Warehouse where we are today, uh, in Greenland, and you see X number of sets of clubs from X number of manufacturers. And I'm looking there, going, now I would go to Callaway because I know you and I trust you, and I want. I would. That's the first place I'd go. In fact, that's how I buy. I like that. Like the grips, they look good. Buy them. But. How, how should someone who goes into a place like that without any idea, what should they do? Well, there's got to be a starting point that is your comfort zone. And I call it, you want to isolate variables, and then you want to start checking them off. So, first of all is the head. Are you a traditionalist? You want a golf club to look a certain way. Now, some people are willing to come in and be completely open, and they want performance only. Now, looking cool is good. Yeah, looking it's cool. Important. Absolutely. It's part of the Same equation. Same as basketball sneakers. No doubt. Don't care if they hold the floor. I just want to look good. <laughs> so when you look down at the golf ball at a dress, are you comfortable with the general shape of the club? Are you comfortable with the 
color of the club. You know, you, there are now dark finish irons mm-hmm. that are becoming more prevalent, but most have a more of a traditional kind of chrome finish to mm-hmm. them. Is the top line bigger or smaller? Now, I try and encourage people, okay, here's a range, but now be open-minded enough that if we can show you a little bigger top line, which means it's got a little bit more forgiveness, might be in your interest. But there's some who come and say, this is how I want it to look. And to be honest, that actually helps us, because we narrow it down, you're going to choose one of these three. Right. But I usually just want to say, do me a favor, take a couple of swings to get warmed up. The golfer actually doesn't know that I am formulating ideas about where to go with that golfer just mm-hmm. by their practice swings, just by their five or six warm-up shots. Because I can see, do they stand tall? Do they hunch down? Do they swing around or do they swing up and down? And then they will verbalize, whether they know it or not, either what kind of golfer they are or what kind of golfer they think they are. And either one, that's valuable information. Do they swing with a little bit of speed? Do they really need you to help them gain speed? And so you can eliminate, like in the Callaway lineup, Golf and Ski has probably 12 different irons of ours on the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, traditional players club. Golf Digest loves to give you these titles. Super game improvement, game improvement, players iron, distance iron. I don't like to typecast people because there are golfers who need forgiveness if we're just going to be honest about it. But the reality is they'll tell you they like a steel shaft, they like the weight, like you described, over graphite, and they like a little bit more of a conventional club, but they're willing to have some forgiveness. So of let's say there's 12 I'm looking at, I've just eliminated eight. We got mm-hmm. it down to these four. And then through a few more questions or watching a few more swings, I've usually, you know what, that was really not for you. Now we're down to three. Once we come down to three, I want that golfer to hit six or eight shots. What are they comfortable with? Because once they verbalize, this one's really not for me, I actually, you can see they got a connection. You almost can watch them think as they're taking swings. So you're, so you're, like, you're like a baseball scout in that you're watching players and you get a sense of what these players are and then they'll go to the, the, the uh, analytics that they use today and and maximize what they get out of that guy. But you're deciding what that person is first. The analytics come in after. Right. They help you seal the deal. They help you finalize. They validate, you know, provide validity for the golfer to see it. If right. that golfer wants empirical data that's going to back up what you're saying. Some golfers welcome technology. Some do not. I admit I am not a technology-first guy on the launch monitor. I'm definitely a technology-first guy with the equipment, but I don't bring the technology in until I've determined whether that golfer actually is going to embrace it. Okay, I'll buy that. This is All right, I come in and I see you, and I say, this is what I want. I want to be in the middle of the fairway. Yep. That's pretty much, and I want to look cool. So what do you do for me? So, again, I've done my swings. I'm down that. Now you're to the point of we're down to those three things. Then what happens? So now what we're going to do is start to share information. Your launch angle with this club is this. If we're talking a driver, for most golfers, it's going to be 10 and 14 degrees. A little bit slower swinger, you want to be closer to 14. A faster swinger can get closer to 10. There are some variables if you're dealing with a senior or a lady without a lot of speed. Um, maybe they might be up to 15 or 16. A couple of years ago, you said to me, uh, we'll fit you in a senior shaft. So you notice I'm not bringing up the sh- that, that topic. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But this, All right, so I would tell you I traditionally play with a low. I play with like an 
9.5. Right. I like hitting a low ball and yep. getting it to run just because I've been comfortable with that. Yeah, that's what you grew up playing with. That's right. what you like to look at. So I can show you that if and we... And you have to convince me if you're going to tell me I've got to right. go 14. So now that's what we got to do is we got to actually show you. Right. Your carry distance was this with a 9.5. I'm not going to talk a 9.5 guy psychologically into playing it at 14. That's mm-hmm. too extreme. Right. And I might be able to show you that if you got a 12 degree or an 11.5 degree and we gave you 11 more yards of carry distance and your spin rate was low enough that you still got the roll, now we've just gained 15 yards. Mm-hmm. So the last golfer who bought a driver before I jumped on the radio here with you was a 12 degree driver. He's never played 12 in his life. But we just showed him he gained 11 yards of carry, and his spin rate was low enough that it worked. But and not everybody's going to do that. When you say the yeah, how did you do that to him? Well, we we switched him back and forth. So the beauty of today's no, but I mean, how did you show him physically in his... So in this guy's case, he wasn't necessarily a technology guy, so we brought him out to the range, and he could carry it to a certain tree. Mm-hmm. that he could not otherwise. Mm-hmm. But if you're indoors, you're going to show that with the combination of spin and launch, mm-hmm. it'll mathematically calculate what your carry distance is. But it doesn't want to lose roll. So if you're creating high spin, then you are going to lose roll. You don't want it just to carry and have it stop. It's got to be a combination of the two. All right. In a couple of sentences... To, to wrap to summarize what you just said, mm-hmm. someone comes in to see you. What what should they they want? They want to go club. What should they What should they ask you? And how do you get started? Again, we get started with looking at length. How tall are you? How long are your arms? Mm-hmm. I look at your posture. Do you bend your legs a lot? Do you not? We look at the transition as you take your backswing to your downswing. How abrupt or how fluid is that? And then through those couple of shots, we start narrowing it down. Like in our drivers, we have a sub-zero head, which is someone who needs lower spin. Sub-zero means the center of gravity is below the center of the ball. And so that player, we want lower spin. Most people don't need that. They need some spin to keep it in the air. And again, it's shots, a little discussion. Shots, a little discussion. It's only about a 20-minute process. Here's the best club for you. And what's the first question I should ask you? I'd say the or, first, or first statement, a first question, first statement. I a lot say. of people like to leave with their handicap. To be honest, I don't really care. Now, it's not that I don't care because I don't care about you, but your handicap is not really going to determine what I think. Yeah, that could to. be a function of being a bad putter or a exactly. good putter. Exactly. That could be bad decisions through right. course management. Right. So that's not it. So I specialize in that particular <laughs> part, but yes. I often lead with what do you hit from 150 yards? Now, that's a simple right. thing, and some right. people don't tell you the truth. Eight iron. Okay, so eight iron, you're leaning towards a stiff shaft. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to watch your tempo, and maybe I'll talk you into a heavier regular. But that helps me narrow it down. Mm-hmm. I don't really ask people whether they hit a stiff or regular, because right. they might be hitting the wrong thing. Right. I'm going to determine that with you. you got to be confident in what I ultimately recommend. So we're in this together. But over the course of our relationship, if we can develop a connection in 15 minutes, you might trust me enough to try something that you previously did not think about. See, that's the word right there. Once I trust you, I'll do anything you tell me to do. You just got to convince me that I should trust you. All right, let me ask you uh, this. I'm talking to Aaron Henderson from Callaway Golf. 
Tell us about your new products this year for 2019, for 2019. So we talked about the Epic Flash Driver. That's a phenomenal club. We think it's a difference maker. The artificial intelligence, the speed off of this golf club, the options to get different shafts, it is long, it is consistent, and it is highly adjustable. If you happen to slice it right, hook it left, we can make subtle adjustments that will make you a more consistent player. Now, when we go to the irons, Irons are fun. Callaway is the number one seller of irons in golf, as we currently are right now in drivers as well. But with the irons, we have more options than anybody. Some people specialize better players' irons. Some people specialize with highly forgiving irons. We really have something for every type of player. And that's fun because now I can just let you take your swings, listen to what you're comfortable and willing to try, and then we can narrow it down and get you into the right club. The other thing we do, and it doesn't get promoted enough, Callaway owns Odyssey putters. Odyssey is the number one putter in golf. You know, our market share, you know, is is right now, you know, approaching 40% in putters. I mean, we are killing it. What's the most important thing in a putter? So, putter is not an understood thing by most for fitting. And it's the club you use the most in your round of golf. And it's It's incredibly important. That's right. So I would tell you something that most people don't think about is getting the right length putter based on your posture. Because if you have something too long, now you hold it a little too far away from your body, your eyes are not over the ball, and you have to alter your stroke. See, I like them short. So a short putter allows your eyes to get over the ball. There's nothing encumbered. You've got a coat on because it's cold out or whatever. It's just freely you can swing it. Now the question is, do you have a straight back, straight through stroke? Or do you have a little bit of an arc to your stroke? Most people don't really even know, but we can observe that very quickly. And the hosel, which is a little piece that connects the shaft to the head, we have different types of hosels. So if you are straight back, straight through, you need what's called a face-balanced hosel. So if you rest that putter on your hand and kind of hold it out from your body up in the air, you'll see does the toe of the putter hang or does it stay in its position that you rest it? If it does, that's for face balanced. If you have an arc to your stroke, you need a little bit of toe hang. So when you hold that putter up from your body, does it droop a little bit, the toe of the putter? And that will allow it to swing through. And that's something I can show you on the putting green in a more easier way. But it is hugely important because if you have a putter that doesn't want to release it doesn't, as you have an arc to your stroke, it doesn't swing back through and become right. square at impact. You're going to push most of your putts to the right. If you have a putter head that has an arc and a swing to it, and it'll close at impact back to square, now you're making more putts. And that's something we've done this year. There's a new shaft technology combined with the hosel called Stroke Lab. It's a very simple thing. We've gone to graphite shaft in a putter. Two-thirds of it is graphite. It's steel on the end where it connects to the putter. What we've done is rebalanced the putter. Some people were talking about counterbalanced. This is rebalanced, 40 grams out of the shaft. We put about 30 of that in the very end of the shaft under the grip, 10 in the head. It's increased the consistency of people's tempo. And immediately you're a better putter if you have more consistent backswing length. Because you've got better tempo, you can return the putter head to the ball in a more consistent way. 
I would definitely get into golf and ski at some point in time soon and have them look at your stroke and test out these stroke lab putters. All right. Uh, give you the last word. This is Aaron Henderson from Callaway Golf. Last word. Final thing we didn't discuss. I'll be very brief. Golf balls. We are so excited about the growth of Callaway golf balls. Two of the top four balls in golf are from Callaway. The Chrome Soft, which is our urethane-covered tour quality ball, and then the Super Soft, low compression, easy to hit. There's a third option that we've added this year called the ERC Soft. It's named after Mr. Callaway, Ely Reeves Callaway. This is the best distance ball in golf, and it has an alignment line that is three lines, two blue, one red. It's called Triple Track. It allows you to line up your shot better than we think any alignment line that's ever been put on a golf ball. It's worth trying the ERC Soft. All right. Our thanks to Aaron Henderson from Callaway Golf. Thank you. Be well, Dave. Thank you. Okay. We're back for the final word with uh, Matt Schmidt and it's like Scott we never Peters. left. It's like we never left. And, uh, <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> I want to ask you, be, I'm uh, ask on the final word two, two, uh, one question first. What's your favorite hole at Pebble Beach? You know, it's funny. Um, nobody ever talks about it. Um, and I think the fourth hole is just such a cool hole. Um, and I get how, you know, how can you not say 18? How can you not say 7? How can you not say 8, 9, or 10 and all those things? Um, I would say that's the best second shot on any par 4 I've ever played is the eighth hole at Pebble Beach. But I love the fact that 4 is short. It's sort of never talked about. It's sort of the transition from the first three kind of eh holes and into the coastline. Um, so it's it's going to be drivable, I think, in this week uh, as event. So um, as silly as it sounds, I've always loved the fourth hole. I may be the only person in the world who thinks that's their favorite hole on Pebble, uh, but I've always loved the fourth hole. Matt, do you have one? Um, I've always liked 17. I just it's It's always been a hole to me, and I've never been there. But it's always been a hole to me where it's it's like there's nowhere to hit it. Well, and it's hard not to acknowledge a hole that has had as much history. Oh, I absolutely. Mean, I mean, Nicholas in 72 hit the one iron off the flag. Yeah. I mean, um, Nicholas is... I mean, if you just... Am- Tom Watson chipping one. in. Yeah. I mean, trying to out of deep rough. Deep rough. Deep rough. Trying to imagine that hole when the wind's blowing in off the ocean and the green looks like you can't even... I mean, when the, the pin's back there, you know... Middle or back left, you can't even hardly see. You know, it's it a little subtle thing about that hole that makes it really hard. Is and and the final groups will deal with that. It's right into, into the, the sun, setting sun. Yeah. and you know it's hard to get depth perception yeah. and get a feel. You know, when you're lining up your shot and you're over the ball, you look up and you only see sun. It's it's a little silly thing, but it uh, it definitely adds mm-hmm. to the challenge of the hole in the shot. Uh, I'm going to take 18. A because I like holes that have uh, danger. Uh, a closing hole, especially it is your the middle final name. Group. Yes, well, yeah. yes. I also like you know you can do risk re- long. You can you can do risk reward. Uh, you know, and go over the ocean with the tee ball over the, over the trees. So and then you've got trouble. <laughs> well, look, it's hard so. not to argue. It's one of the most right. iconic holes, right? Right, and I the beauty. Throw in the beauty. I mean, it's like if you were trying to explain something to golf or explain golf to somebody who didn't know what it was it's like you'd almost show that picture of a, right? this is what a golf hole looks like right right you mean they're all like that jeez I'd like golf man <laughs> alright so now it is time to uh, oh we got plenty of Portsmouth because it's the predictions the east coast prediction Scott we'll go to you first Tiger Tiger 
I think Tiger. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, subjective because I did pick Tiger in my pool way back when. But I just think, I, you know, if I'm picking one player this week, it's Tiger. Matt? Um, I think I've picked him already this year. But I'm going okay. to pick Tommy Fleetwood. You did. You picked him to win the Masters. I think. Did I? I think no, I picked you picked Rory to win the Masters. Yeah, I think okay. Rory to win the Masters. All right. What may, I'm curious. I think Tommy Fleet is a great player, but I've not seen hide nor hair of him in any tournament this last year. I haven't really months. either, and oh. I don't know if that's good or bad. Okay. But. And hide nor hair is a uh, is a, an appropriate uh, comment for him. Where's he cut his I, I do like the uh, the dark horse pick. Sneds is a good pick. I think me. Sneds is a great dark, dark I horse I also think ball. Justin Rose could have a good week, too. Now I'm going to go Justin Thomas. Coming off the injury. Coming back. I like guys who can come off the bench and play right off the bat. So, all right. So that's the story. By the way, none of us picked Brooks. Ironically, I, right? Three in a row. You guys, come on. Or DJ. I picked him in the PGA. I can't pick him two in a row. I mean, but no, I mean, I'd kill but, it if but, I thought yeah, he was going to win. Right. I just don't think he's going to win. All right. As our final word on that, what's the possibility of somebody winning three in a row? No matter how hot they are, no matter what the story is, it's been... It's never happened in modern times. Well, and when does modern times start? No better, there's no better chance of that ever happening than right now this week. I think it'll, if it'll it be really... happen this week, yeah. when would it happen? It'll be really interesting to see how he plays because I somehow, even though he played well at Augusta, it's like we were all surprised at the PGA that he was as good as he was the first three rounds in particular. And it's, he's not surprising anyone now because he's the odds-on favorite to win. And yes. it'll be interesting to see how he handles that. Right. Where did Curtis Strange finish in his after winning two in he a row? He gave it a run. Yeah. He gave it a run. If my memory serves me, it was at Medina, and he was in the hunt. See, I'm, I'm hoping he does. I like people who can beat the odds to things that people don't think you can do. So um, I, I actually am rooting for him, and I'd like to see him do it. But... Um, so beating like the odds, does that mean the St. Louis Blues win tomorrow night? Um, I don't know. It's been a funky series, hasn't it? It has been a great series. I, I mean, 7-2 score after coming off. I mean, I love listening to talk radio on this thing where after the first, they win the first one, and everybody's going, series is over. Then They've said the, that after every game. After the so second ridiculous. game, they're going, they're in trouble. They're in major trouble. Right. <laughs> yep. and they looked in they looked in major trouble when it was when they were down three two, and then they come back with that. Guys well, are hurt. And the series has died too, and more people saying whoever wins game five is definitely going to win the cup. And of course, here we're at game seven, and it, whoever won game five isn't that relevant right now. Mm-hmm. So, so to, to, to I know we're dragging. I have no idea. Talk, to tell you yeah. the truth, but I had to sneak it in. I'm very excited about no, tomorrow's it's, game it's, seven. It's fine. I can understand why people are apprehensive. And uh, and again, you know the, the the city of Boston really it really they really need a winner. It's been 120 can, days since we bought a championship. <laughs> I like that billboard. That was funny. <laughs> well, I can tell you this: I was in New York over the weekend, and I just <laughs> I was just basking and rubbing it in people. <laughs> so it is interesting. Bruins are original six. They've been playing forever, and yet they've never hosted a game seven. I, for I know the that. That Cup. was that's interesting and pretty cool. Well, I've only won five. Right. Yeah, but they've lost many. Right. Game sevens. Game seven. I've seven actually Stanley seen the Cups? cup, not seven, but they. They. I was nineteen seventy seven when Jacques Lemaire scored in overtime against the Bruins. I watched the Stanley Cup get skated around the Garden Ice. So they've lost the Stanley Cup 
um, at home. Was that the too many men on the ice? No, no that was seventy-eight, no. yeah. and that was also at Montreal and not the finals. Right, right. Well, other than that, it was exactly the same. Exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> on that note, all right. Well, on that note, let me just say uh, thanks to the folks at Golf and Ski Warehouse. Don't forget to go there on Saturday. June 15th for Demo Day and your last chance Father's Day shopping where you can demo the latest 2019 clubs on the outdoor range from 10 to 4, get custom fitted by leading manufacturers and enjoy special savings on 2019 merchandise and clearance pricing on selected previous season clubs, drivers, fairway woods, full sets, and more. That's Golf and Ski Warehouse on Route 33 in Greenland, New Hampshire. Folk, you guys, thanks. Have a great, great. enjoy the U.S. Open. Enjoyed, Very excited. Yeah. Thanks. Good stuff. And uh, we'll be back next week.